Today's scripture reading comes from the book of John, chapter 14, verses 7 to 14, which reads, If you really knew me, you would know my father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the father and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you for such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the father. How can you say, show us the father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father, and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it is the Father, living in me, who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves. I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Good to see everyone. Uh, I appreciated last Sunday's uh, message from Brother Nathan Lloyd-Jones uh, concerning uh, spiritual caring and helpful questions uh, that we should be asking of each other to ensure spiritual growth and maintain connectedness. And I hope we had a chance to apply his encouragements um, this past week. Uh, today, uh, as the verses reflect, we return to our series on John 14, uh, with uh, this being its second installment. Um, I designated the main topic um, of the series to be comfort, comfort, uh, particularly from the Lord to his disciples, um, which uh, include, which would include us 21st century versions. The previous message examined the first six verses of the chapter in which Jesus, knowing his time for departure was imminent, comforts his disciples with uh, talk of a future heavenly destination for them. We spoke of how Jesus was able to comfort them because he knew the true end of the story of humanity. He also knew the end of life's yearning right, for a divine home, where that would end. And he also knew um, the way to that heavenly home. In fact, he was the way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. It was not mere knowledge or a method or a practice, um, but a transformative relationship. Right? Knowing Christ meant you knew the way. Being saved through the blood of Christ brought us, um, would bring us to the heavenly home. Uh, I was reading a book this past week written by Dom Donald Miller, this popular for a while called uh, Blue Like Jazz in uh, which he, re he describes a friend's um, faith journey, how she became a Christian. Um, from a heavily jaded perspective against Christianity, uh, the friend began to explore uh, a new outlook. And I think I did a quote, right? She began to wonder if Christianity, if it were a person, might in fact like her. She began to wonder if she and Christianity might get along, 
if they might have a few things in common. From there, she went on to realize that Christianity is not fundamentally a set of beliefs or a lifestyle, but an actual person, right? So essentially, in its pro proper essence, Christianity is the person of Christ, right? That's uh, how I think the um, best way to understand it. And we'll, we'll explore a similar point uh, today, but the uh, interpretive angle right, that I'd like to uh, for us to consider is evident in the title, right? Take comfort in knowing. Take comfort in knowing. I find that I hear that phrase uh, used, take comfort in knowing in situations of grief and death uh, of a loved one, right? Uh, in the midst of sorrow, sometimes, not always, but sometimes it's helpful to point out to the bereaved uh, that they can they might take comfort in knowing uh, something that like there was maybe that person didn't suffer before they died or that they had a chance to be with close family prior uh, to their passing. We take comfort in knowing something, right? Uh, knowing something, at least knowing the right things can be really helpful in times of distress in times of confusion, in times of uh, difficulty. I think much of our struggle, uh, much of the untenability of COVID uh, in my mind is caused by the great uncertainty and confusing information that's flying around out there. Uh, the virus itself right, is called the novel like, new coronavirus disease. The more credible knowledge we have about the way the virus works, multiplies, is destroyed or inoculated against, I think that can give us a sense of comfort, if not peace. Now, I imagine with all the variants jumping around, um, and with the beginning of public school, public school in a month, uh, there must be a heightened sense of uneasiness and uh, concern. So to take comfort in knowing certain things, knowing the right things. Uh, I think that's what Jesus kind of was conveying, was trying to communicate uh, to the disciples, right? Uh, his knowledge of what was going to happen, his promise to return to them in triumph and then to escort them to that heavenly home. These convictions, these words, these uh, prophecies even, or I think designed to um, really comfort the disciples to assuage the anguish that they were gonna feel, um, to kind of buoy their spirits in the dark days ahead. So the presence of promises could start with that. You can mention that as being something that would really help them in their um, time of need. So a comforting presence, whether it's words or I'm going to expand on it, uh, the actual presence right, of a person or a group of people 
that's what I'd like to kind of spend the rest of the sermon on. And when you're in a tough place, when you're in a place where you feel um, insecure, the presence of the right person, the perfect person being there, um, that can make all the difference, of course. A, a, a young child uh, seeking uh, his mother or father, uh, it changes everything, right? Like they, nothing can console them, not carrying them, not feeding them, not changing their diaper, not uh, playing with them. But um, and I'm, I'm told this, like a mother's scent, <laughs> her, the, the smell of her clothes can really be uh, helpful uh, to a, a child. Yeah, like a mother's presence, I think you read that, you see that in just so many situations, like on the battlefield. When someone, when a soldier is dying, she or he will call out for uh, a mother. I want my mom. I want my mommy. Or in prison, I've I've heard that um, that sometimes is the kind of the, the one of the elemental uh, things in the heart, right? To want the presence, the comforting presence. Um, of uh, your mother. Um, I think I mentioned to a number of you that our family had a chance to drive up to Maine this past week. And so we were in Acadia uh, National Park. And um, so it's a, just a beautiful area and all that. And uh, it's not that easy to get around. I mean, it's not huge, but it's not a monolithic, like just a contained area. There's a lot of uh, ways in which you can enter and, and, and kind of to, to try to find your way around it to find the various sites or the trails or there's even a, like a it's called the Jordan Pond House. They have these, what is it, popovers? Yeah, they have these really good pastries that, you know, trying to find that and, and all that. You have to kind of have a good sense of, of direction and stuff. And so, you know, thank God for GPS, right? <laughs> all the, uh, I prefer Apple Maps. My kids prefer Google Maps, so family had conflict uh, while we were uh, there. But um, having that you know, knowledge, you know, we, even though we were, we, you felt like you could get lost, it really kind of brought a sense of assurance and comfort to know that you know, we had this thing. But uh, let, let me do take time to extol the benefits of the app maps.me, okay? It kicks uh, the rear of Apple Maps or Google Maps. Maps.me does not depend on your cell signal, right? It actually goes directly with, um, stays connected to the uh, satellites, the GPS satellites. So if you don't have Wi-Fi, you don't have um, a cellular uh, signal, you, it can still identify where you are. So they have trail maps on there. They have all these different kind of kind of things that you can, you can it even provides like routing uh, for you. So the presence of maps.me <laughs> uh, allowed us to have a good time, even if uh, you know it helped family dynamics a lot. But in our family, um, you know. The person who actually is really good at navigation is uh, my son Nicholas, right? And uh, so, uh, you know, we tasked him. 
to organize all of the hikes and, and kind of get us where we needed to go. And he was more, in my mind, reliable and comforting than you know all these apps put together. Although he used it, it was still his kind of track record, his experience, and kind of um, so you know I I I let him lead up all these trails and. You know, when, when you, even though you have, like, sometimes they have those blazes, those hiking trail uh, symbols or uh, signifiers, it's confusing, right? Sometimes you can't read which way it is, or you can't find one, or they're going in two different directions and stuff. So after, you know, in the past making many mistakes, I just let him lead, and uh, so I just follow where his feet go so then you know, usually um, he doesn't fall or slip or anything like that he's actually very sure-footed and um, Mona bought him these new hiking shoes that were like a, a normal shape at, at the sole but then the arch was really narrow and then the heel was kind of a little bit uh, larger than normal so it actually looked like the hoof <laughs> hoof hoof how do you say it right and so, and he's got, you know, pretty long calves and stuff. So I just imagine him being a goat, <laughs> hopping on these rocks and, you know, scaling the mountains. And I just focused on that for like, you know, 30 minutes at a time. And so he's, he's very uh, sure-footed. And so we, our family calls him, nicknamed him Ranger Nick. Because, <laughs> you know, he, he can be like a guide maybe one day um, up there. His presence was really comforting <laughs> to me. Like I didn't feel like I would be, you know, stranded on the mountain or I would fall or do something uh, kind of to, to injure uh, myself. And, and so, yeah, the right person, the right presence um, that can really help us. And I think that's what kind of what Jesus is doing here. You know, he knows his disciples have to, um, they have a lot of work ahead. It's going to be a lot of challenges. They're going to face opposition and persecution. It's going to be very, very difficult. And they're going to lose the physical you know, presence of Jesus. He's going to die, right? Um, and then he's going to depart. Notice he doesn't leave like any like resources. It's not about wealth. Uh, it's not about like, a, a, like a, some sort of secret cache of weapons. <laughs> that they can kind of access. It's not the typical things that we would find comforting or strengthening. It's really about, you know, him. It's really about his presence, what he meant to them in relationship. That would be, I think, uh, make, um, that would comfort them and then give them the strength and the support uh, that they needed. So the more powerful the knowledge of a sure blessed presence, multiple presences actually, I think is what Jesus wants them to take comfort in knowing. So the rest of the message I'm gonna look at, at least the first two, right? Um, that they could take comfort in knowing uh, that, the, that the Father's presence had been with them, was with them, right? In verses seven to 10, Heavenly Father. And then Jesus, the sons, and I put a paren, uh, ongoing presence. Right? He's not gonna be physically there with them, incarnate, but his presence from afar, his impact, his influence, that was going to comfort them. 
and that's uh, verses 11 to 14. And we're not going to cover number three today, the Spirit's presence. The rest of the passage, John 14, spends a lot of time with that. So we'll look at that in subsequent messages. So uh, I'll start with the Father's presence. Um, since Jesus introduced the theme of the Father's house uh, and the way there too, the disciples begin to uh, inquire okay, you've been talking about the Father's house. Can we see the Father? Can you show us the Father? So they ask about seeing or being shown, seeing or being shown the Father um, in advance, uh, so to speak. Uh, Philip, he speaks on their behalf. He expresses, Lord, show us the Father, and that would be enough for us. Uh, to know God, to be in God's presence, the Father's presence, I think that's the goal of, of every Jewish person. Um, now, if not everyone who seeks uh, religion, we want to know the Father, we want to relate to him, we want to converse, communicate with him, we even want to see him firsthand if that were possible. From an existential angle, um, maybe the inconsolable longing we talked about, the, the sensukt for a divine home, as well as searching for the true way. Uh, likewise, the search for a true father father figure, that seems to have universal um, a universality to it, right? This, in spite of the fact that there are so many negative examples of fatherhood throughout history, and maybe even in our own lives. Yet, whether it's an idealistic image or perhaps something that the Creator has implanted in us, we would like to see the Father, capital F, right? The Father, the Father uh, in heaven. Jesus responds, right, to Philip, um, not with, okay, good question. This is what we're going to He actually says, Philip, we've, you've actually uh, seen him already, right? Um, he reminds the disciples that by seeing him, the Son, they've already seen the Father, right? So Jesus was more than a spokesperson or an emissary, right? Uh, Jesus and the Father were one. Not the same, but so united that they were um, inseparable. So being in the presence of the Son, Jesus is telling them, the disciples had actually already experienced the father as well they just didn't realize it i don't know if you've you know ever been kind of uh unknowingly in the presence of someone famous or someone great i think it's possible in new york or you know hollywood where you can you know, star star sightings or that kind of stuff but maybe you didn't know that somebody was really famous and you just kind of treated them as an ordinary joe but you know, they were kind of well-known. Mona and I had a couple of experiences where we were in restaurants, right? And, uh, you know, we're just loving the food and having a good time. And then the chef, right, comes out and we just think they're like, you know, a weight person. <laughs> and so we're just kind of like, uh, just being you know, casual. But we went to uh, years ago to is it Mark? I don't know the restaurant name, but Mark Forgione in uh, is it Chelsea somewhere around there, and uh, we were having a great meal, and this 
person comes out, this man comes out and he's dressed very casually, nondescript, and he says, so how uh, are you enjoying your meal? And we loved it. So we were just kind of raving about that. And he goes, uh, may I add some truffles? Sure, why not? And so we're eating that. And then like we heard whispering around us. And so I started, I looked, I looked up Google and it was the actual Michelin really, <laughs> Michelin starred chef just came to our table for some reason and stuff. So like we were really sheepish and we left a big tip because <laughs> we were so embarrassed. And that happened again when we went to, uh, we were in Italy, one of, one of our, our, our trip, that, uh, a big trip that, that we took. And someone told us to go to this uh, uh, restaurant in, in Milan. I can't pronounce it, Tano Passamo Io. Right, and so you know, we, it was our last day on our trip, and so we were just walking around, and we said, "Oh, let's go there for lunch because it was recommended." And we go there, and it's closed, right? But there's this kind of a grandfatherly kind of figure. He was just kind of like uh, I think cleaning the windows of the restaurant, and, and it was closed. And he says, "Yeah, we're closed, and um, you know we have." it opens for dinner at six but it, we only have like you know it's one of those restaurants where you only have like six patrons like you know, very selective and stuff like that so he told us that you know that he's uh you know normally all booked and stuff like that but you know we were there and it was our last day and so you know we said our you know my, my cousins had recommended it and so you know they lived here and just kind of did a sob story and so he, he was very compassionate, I think. And he looked, he looked us over and we were wearing shorts because we were just tourists and it was the last day and we had all our clothes were dirty by then. And so, but he goes, why don't you come back at six and I'll try to seat you and stuff. So we came back and, um, you know, he greeted us, found out he's a Michelin star, <laughs> a rated chef as well. And he goes, do you trust me to cook for you? Go definitely. And he did a nine course meal. I think he gave us like 11 courses along the way. And he had written a book. So we bought three of them because we were, we're sorry that we didn't recognize him um, and stuff like that. So uh, those were my brushes with greatness. Um, the disciples were unaware that they were in the presence of such uh, an illustrious figure. Although they did respect and acknowledge that Jesus was a special prophet. Even they could not imagine that Jesus was so close to the Father that the unity between them, between the Father and the Son, was actually inseparable. And this is not just a kind of a conceptual or um, effective, like, like, like explanatory unity. It was, it was real. Right? There was this oneness um between the son and the father and though jesus had talked about it and he had shown evidence of it right he says the father is speaking through me the father is doing his work through me believe those uh, observe those test uh those and the disciples they couldn't separate the idea and i understand right totally understandable that they thought that the father was a distinct entity and so unless they interacted with this special distinct entity unique entity they you know felt like they hadn't seen the father but Jesus is trying to I think again communicate a very complicated concept of the unity of the father and the son that they are so one they are so in sync they are so mutually indwelling the fancy theological term is co-inherent they're so one that seeing Jesus is seeing is equivalent to uh, seeing uh, the Father. I, I have a whole list of three or four or five 
bad analogies <laughs> that I won't uh, try um, to do it like, okay, I'll do one. <laughs> so the, in the movie Total Recall, uh, the, the first one with Arnold Schwarzenegger, there's these mutants and uh, there's this one, uh, I think the leader of the mutants, the rebels and that are better than the establishment. And there's a, a leader and they can't, the, 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 the uh, government can't find him because he actually lives inside another mutant, right? And so uh, only when I think Schwarzenegger is on the side of the, uh, um, of the, of the rebel cause, does, uh, uh, is, a re is it revealed that you know, there's a mutant living in another mutant and the indwelling mutant is the, is the you know, leader of the rebels and stuff like that. But it's not right because when the indwelling mutant like talks or tries to you know, converse, the outer <laughs> mutant is just kind of like, uh, <laughs> he doesn't really exist. I mean, he doesn't have a will or a personality. And so, okay, I told you it's a bad uh, analogy. But, I don't know, maybe conjoined twins. I was thinking, is that a good way to think about it? That, you know, they're, they're, they're two persons, but they're, they're, you know, they share a body, that kind of thing. So I was watching something, uh, trying to see if that's it. So I'm not sure that's very good. But again, the mystery of the Trinity, <laughs> Father, Son, and Spirit, uh, three persons, one God. That's the, the weighty, um, I think, point that Jesus is trying to make. Uh, for us, I just want us to take comfort, right? That uh, when the Spirit, when, when, when the Son is, is, what the Son is saying here is that when you know the Son, when you love the Son, right? And like when Lucy prayed, she prayed to Jesus, right? That's praying to God, right? Um, all of the, I think the, challenges, if you will, of thinking about, you know, God and his glory and his majesty and his kind of numinosity, right? He's holy. He's, in a sense, inaccessible, right? Jesus came down. He became flesh. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We walked with him. We talked with him. Uh, we ate with him. We slept in the same place. We saw him like one of us. Somebody said he moved into our neighborhood. And I think that's why Jesus is kind of, he sounds a little hurt when he responds to Philip and says, don't you know me even after I've been among you such a long time? Right? That's a relational kind of comment. When you think you should be close with somebody and they don't understand you or they don't really seem to have an insight into you. That's what we, we say or we heard uh, say uh, to us. What Jesus is saying to the disciples and to us is that if you uh, know me, if you have a relationship with me, then rest assured that you are known uh, by the Father. Jesus is the mediator, he's the bridge, he's the only way uh, to the Father. And I'm thinking the disciples, when they finally realized this, they must have been like, oh man, we were like just confused or we were just blind. For three years, this, 
the Father was with us, but we didn't recognize it. So I'm, I'm thinking that that must have given them a sense of strength and comfort uh, to know that their lifelong, almost unrealizable dream to see the Father, to know the Father had actually been already fulfilled. Okay, uh, that's the Father's presence. Let's talk about the Son's presence. How could that comfort them, right? In verses 11 to 14, Jesus begins discoursing on the work that the Son has performed uh, under the Father's authority. He explains that the power of God will now be conferred, it'll be transmitted onto the disciples themselves. They'll take on the mantle of God's power and continue the work that Jesus had done. It'd be a seamless transition. Of course, it'll involve the Holy Spirit, but they will, the disciples will become God's agents on earth. And uh, what Jesus will do is that he'll uh, occupy or he'll abide at the right hand of the Father. So as Jesus ascends and, and, and departs, right, he's not physically with the disciples, but his presence, right, again, through the Holy Spirit, but his influence uh, will continue. And what he's saying is his influence and his power in terms of what the disciples will be doing, their work, will be even stronger. Right? That's a pretty radical thing it's a pretty amazing thing for um him to stay him to say that the disciples will perform even more amazing miracles than jesus did only possible by the grace of god of course but the fact that jesus is interceding he is advocating right? he is working in heaven on our behalf the that um, the, the consequences or the, the ramifications of that, that will be something real and tangible that the disciples uh, can enjoy and, and benefit from. Yeah. Again, I, I had trouble coming up with um, how to like illustrate that. Right? I think there was, you know, I actually talked with Tony and I was saying, should I talk about like parallel universe, that, you know, the science fiction aspect, should I talk about Star Wars, should I talk about magic, should, you know, we do, and go, no, no, those, those are all bad. So I'm just going to give another imperfect analogy and see if that can help. And, and, and it, the idea is uh, like a congressional representative or a lobbyist, right? Someone that's not physically near in terms of proximity, but that wields this ability to affect, right, and impact uh, our lives, right? That, that's the theory of representative government, that we pick someone in our midst that knows our situation, that, you know, understands our challenges, that will be on our side. Right? And they will go to the highest halls of power and they will uh, represent uh, our needs. They will fight for our rights our, and, and bring money uh, to us and vote as we would vote. Is that how it works? <laughs> uh, in, in that sense, right? And um, they will bring about, effectuate change or 
uh, reform or justice, whatever, uh, however uh, you want to look at that. Right? Jesus is not physically with us, but when God's grace, when his blessings, when his power comes to us and is experienced by us, that reminds us, that confirms you know, his ongoing presence. It's not because we're so great. It's not because we're so uh, deserving. It's because Jesus is working super hard. He's doing what he promised uh, he would be doing. And that's something that you know I kind of look at when I see this verse. I think uh, a lot of people can take these verses about doing greater things in Jesus kind of a little out of context. So the emphasis becomes the magnitude of power or the greatness that I am. You know, they, we get so caught up in the heady power that Jesus uh, speaks of, that it's so great that we forget that it's not about the power per se. It's what that power indicates. It's what that power shows. It's that what that power uh, uh, should remind us of, comfort us. And that is that Jesus is alive and well. And that he is hard at work um, answering our prayers. He's hard at work um, advocating to the Heavenly Father um, what we are doing, what our requests are. Right? It confirms Jesus' abiding presence that it's strong uh, within us. He's not just going to the Father because he doesn't like earthly life anymore. He's going there because that's the next step in the redemption plan, that you and I are now the body of Christ. We are his agents. We are his servants um, to carry out um, the gospel. Right? And so Jesus kind of gives a blank check, carte blanche, Whatever, you can ask anything in my name and I will ask the Father. I don't know if you've ever ex experienced the impact or the influence or the presence of somebody who is no longer physically present. Uh, you know, I think, let's say, if you've lost uh, someone influential or a mentor or a parent, right? You've experienced that. Um, it's often through memories, though. Right, whether it's uh, you know just something in the brain or some a habit that you've kind of uh, you know, brought into your life that you see, like I see that a lot. I see like me doing things that I saw my dad do, but I never like consciously thought I had picked it up. But you know, you kind of see that. So again, all imperfect analogies because you know that's just kind of a, the vestige, the remainder the residue of, of, of an, what, what we've been kind of taught and shown. You know, I think that's the, how our brain works. Jesus' influence is active, right? And in a sense, it's not independent, but it, we don't control that, right? It's not our initiative. It's him sending that power or um, providing that power right, through the Holy Spirit um, that we need. So let's close uh, by taking some time to reflect. Um, whatever you're going through, whether it's a, a, 
I don't know, work challenge, a family difficulty, a, you know, COVID and all of its craziness. Or, you know, some of us, um, you know, just your, your, the, the stage in life that you're at. Like my heart goes out to, uh, you know, since I, I've went through it, like, you know, fathers <laughs> in their like late 30s, early 40s, you know, just all of the burdens of trying to take care of the family, trying to maybe work in your career, trying to, you know, all the crises that, that we face. And, um, you know, where do you look for in comfort? And that was the question I asked to begin with last time, right? What comforts us? And unfortunately, I think we find comfort in all the things that may provide temporary support but in the end, disappoint, in the end, maybe cause more problems. I hope what Jesus said to the disciples can bless us today. That the Father's presence is real. Uh, you don't have to keep looking for it. Don't have to expend or waste time. He's there through Jesus and this special kind of um, Jesus' advocacy. He is pulling for us. He is. So we should we should look to him. We should you know take him up on his offer. Pray for what we need. <laughs>